0: Trust Him. How I him all and all. Jesus, Jesus Christ. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth, and all the birds of the air, and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that He had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. I see the work of your hand galaxy spinning a heavenly dance oh god all that you are so i hear the sound
1: Thank Alan and our praise team. I was standing there and I was thinking, uh, what a blessing it is just to have uh, talented people leading us in worship and praise to our great God. And I am musically challenged, so I just uh, marvel at those who are able to uh, do what they do, and what a blessing. You know, that's part of the the body of Christ, right? We uh, each have our own giftings, talents, abilities, and so it's a a blessing. I would like you to pray with me, if you would, as we prepare uh, to worship through the study of God's Word. Let's pray. Father, uh, we are here as your people, gathered in person and online, and I pray uh, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, So many things going on in our world today and we need your wisdom. And I pray that you'd give us grace to walk through the truth of your word and to study it. And then not just to know it, but to apply it and to live it out in our daily lives. Father, I just come this morning and I pray that we would receive from you your word as it is intended to be received for what it is, the word of God. And that we would submit our lives to it. I pray, Father, that you would help us to sort through our own ideas and thoughts and maybe our own predispositions or expectations and that we would be open to what your Spirit wants to do in and through us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it was in May when uh, the death of George Floyd triggered... Throughout our country, marches and protests and riots and looting and vandalism and physical assaults and has resulted in even the loss of life of those who've been caught up in the whole thing. And major corporations throughout the United States and even most professional sports associations are all doing their level best to virtue signal that they are not racist. It seems to me that uh, there's a lot of misinformation, a lot of disinformation, a lot of assumption, and uh, no short supply of emotion, especially on social media and throughout all media outlets with regard to the whole issue of uh, racism and justice and the government and These media platforms have seemed to, in my opinion, and I'm only saying my opinion, it seems to only magnify rather than mitigate the tension on these issues in our country and around the world. And as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, I feel we have an obligation to think through these things biblically so that we're able to respond wisely and winsomely for the cause of Christ and so uh, with that mind our preaching team our elders have decided that we're going to spend the next few weeks uh, jumping right in with uh, to the frying pan of these issues race justice and and government because of the pertinent nature of these things in our times and so we're going to look this uh, at these issues hopefully from a biblical perspective we're going to look at it and this morning we're going to talk about race and the issue of race, we're going to look at it much like we might approach a, this morning, much like we might approach a physical illness. We're going to look at God's Word and see if we can't find what God's Word says about the cause and the cure with regard to race. Now, it's, it's my prayer and uh, my wife can attest that this week I've been uh, just kind of on edge, I guess, a little bit as we start this whole issue. Because my prayer is that we will travel this journey together with humility and with grace, since I know that the enemy wants nothing more than to use the issues that we're going to be talking about to divide rather than to unite the body of Christ. And so this morning I'm going to, Look at the Scriptures. We're going to have a lot of Scriptures. It's different from my normal pattern. Normally I want to camp out in one passage of Scripture and just uh, dig in and try to mine what we can from it. But we're going to be looking at a lot of things because this morning we're doing a little bit more of what theologians call biblical theology rather than just looking at a text. We're looking at the broad scope of the Scriptures teaching on this issue. And I want to suggest that these three perspectives from God's Word that provide, I think, both an explanation for and a solution for the issue of racism in America, in the world, and forever. And so I'm going to invite you in, and this morning, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the passage that Brooke read this morning. I'm not going to reread it, but thank you, Brooke, for reading Genesis chapter 1, uh, beginning with verse 26 through verse 31, and we're going to look at the first of these perspectives from God's Word, Uh, and the first one is an introduction into the roots of the human race. In order to understand racism, we need to understand race and where race comes from. And so we're in Genesis chapter 1, and there are two realities that every human being shares. And the first is, if you look at verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image. According to our likeness. Um, some people just throw this in for free. But in that verse there you have the hint. The, the intimation of the Trinity. Let us make man in our image. That's plurality within the Godhead. Okay, But anyhow the point is that the first thing we share as human beings. Is we're created in the image of God. Let us make man in our own image. See God is, as we've sung about, He's glorious. He's more glorious than anything. He's majestic. He's holy. He's sovereign. He's self-existent. He is the creator. And the text says that every human being is uniquely created in His image. John Piper uh, says it this way, we're derivative and we're dependent. Okay. We're derived from God and we're dependent upon God. So, what does it mean to be created in God's image? It's a good question. And that's the first question we have to mean. The image is a likeness, okay? It's a representation. So, how is it that human beings represent God uniquely? You see, all of man is the pinnacle of God's creation. He's the last of the created beings, created things. And uniquely created in God's image. It means that we are rational. That we think. To be created in the image of God means that we are personal. That we long for a relationship with God and with each other. That's why all this COVID stuff is such a difficult thing for us. Because we're not meant to be in isolation. We're meant to be relational and in relationships with people. With other people and with God. We're volitional. That means we make choices. We choose. Okay, We can choose. And we're moral beings. I'm sorry for, I mean, I like, don't dislike animals, but animals don't aren't moral, okay? I mean, a lion kills a little, you know, Roebuck or whatever because it wants to eat. You know, it doesn't feel bad about it. It just does it, okay? This is the way it is. But we are created as moral beings. And as, as human beings, we're designed to relate to God and we're designed to reflect God. When, when other human beings look at us, they're supposed to see God. Okay? So that's what it means to be in God's image. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7 says that this is the reflection of God, is that we're supposed to bring Him glory. That's how we reflect God, is, is giving glory to God. All right? And we reflect God, it says, everyone who is called by my name and uh, who I, whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. Okay? You are made in the image of God to reflect God to man by bringing God glory because God is glorious, okay? He is the most glorious. And we do this most fully when we're absolutely, completely satisfied in God. If I'm content in God, then I will reflect God most fully to other people. Or I like like to say it this way, we make the most of God to others when God means the most to us. When God means the most to me, then I make him known uh, to other people. So, there's two important conclusions that I come to as a result of being created in God's image. First of all, we need to consider that our, of our value, our dignity as human beings. Humans are invested with intrinsic value that surpasses all other created beings. I want you to look at Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. It'll be on the screen, so you don't have to turn there. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. Now, why would that be the case? The reason is, if you see the last part of the phrase, for in the image of God, he made man. Because man is created in the image of God, he is invested with an intrinsic value that surpasses all other created beings. To taking the life of another human being is a capital offense because of the tremendous value of, I get it, every human life. Every human life is created as an image bearer of God. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 15. In this text, the psalmist says, For you formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. When was the last time you thought about that? That you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And that he formed us, skillfully wrought. Every single human being is precious to God from the moment of conception. Every human being. So according to Genesis 1, 26 and 27, there is one race of people. The human race, right? Right? The human race. So that means that, yes, George Floyd and David Doran and the 39 children who have been rescued from trafficking in Georgia just recently. All of the lives that have been lost in the rioting and the looting and the thousands of unborn children who have been aborted in this country are all precious in his sight. All of them. Precious in his sight. I agree with David Platt and his commentary on this uh, verse. At least one commentary that he makes in Genesis, on Genesis 9-6. He says that doing justice means recognizing the dignity of every life. And doing justice means ensuring the protection of every life. Every life. Value and dignity. Second thing is variation and diversity. We all share variation and diversity. In Genesis 1, and 27, it says Adam and Eve were created. He made, them, he made them male and female, okay? Male and female. So there's this diversity that is latent within our humanity. From one common gene pool, God made everything. So, you know, I'm not asking you to do this, but you look around and you go, oh, okay. We all came from the same. Right? Could have fooled me. But it's true. We all came from the same. God created us. The, our, our uniqueness, there is physically, we come from the same gene pool. Geo- so that all the diversity is coming from the same. All the physical diversity, male and female. All the geographic diversity from where we grew up and where we were born. All of the intellectual diversity from who knows what. You know, some people, like, I, I just don't get it. Some people, like, they, they have photographic memories. Where does that come from? Adam and Eve. That's not me, but that may be some of you. Some people are musically inclined, some people aren't. All of this comes from God. It accounts for all of it. I want you to look at a passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 17, and again, we're going to have this on the screen because I'm going all over the Bible, okay? In verse 26, it says this, And he made, that is God, made from one man, from one man, get this, every nation of mankind, to live on the face of the earth. Every man, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. What does that mean? Where you were born and when you were born is because of God's sovereignty. It's an act of God. God is sovereign over our gender designation, male and female. He's over our geographic location where we were born. I mean, I just look around I mean, we have... We have people blessed by God's grace in, in our congregation. We have people born in India, people born in, you know, in Mexico, in Liberia, in Congolese, in American, all nations. If I forgot you, I'm sorry. I didn't do it intentionally, okay? We have people by God's grace. This is, what, this is true. And, and skin pigmentation, that's all from God. Where we live, when we live, how long we live. God. Why? The end of verse 20, in verse 27 in Acts chapter 17, which I'm not putting on the screen, but the Acts chapter verse 27 of Acts chapter 17, he did all this. Why did he do this? The text says that he did it that they should seek God and that they might find him. Do you understand, at least as I understand it from the Scripture, where we were born, when we were born, how we were born, what we look like, who we are, is a part of God's plan to lead us to Him. Diversity is is to be appreciated and celebrated, not denied, not denigrated. So I stand here as, as a white male born in the united states in a two parent home and i say that please hear me not without i say it without apology but i say it with an appreciation for god's mercy and with an understanding of my need to submit to his sovereignty this is critical folks because there are movements and waves throughout this country that are trying to denigrate on both sides, on every side of the issue. Where you were born, I mean, this is the people have done this for ages. At the heart of critical race theory. Or critical, yeah, is, is this issue that some think and believe and are, are supposed to be thinking they're better than other people. This is a part of what God's plan is. Who you are and what you look like, where you come from, is God. Equity is not the issue. Sovereignty is the issue. God is sovereign. I didn't choose to be born to my parents. I didn't choose to be born when I was born, at whatever time and period in history I was born, and where I would grow up and where I'd live. I could have been born in a small village up in the Himalayas. I could have been born in South Africa. You, many of you, have been born in different places, in different locations. That is to be celebrated, not denigrated. God wants, I believe, according to Acts 17, Genesis 1, God wants to use your unique story, my unique story, our unique story, to bring us to Him. And then to make much of Him. To bring us to Him. That we might find Him. And that we might give Him glory. And that we might do so whether or not we have the the privilege or advantage or some opportunity that someone else doesn't have. Whatever it is we've been given. Whatever it is our history. Whatever it is our opportunity. Whatever it is that God has done. He wants to use it for His glory. We just... Heard this morning in the first meeting, the first service about uh, Joseph and his brothers. And Joseph said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He wasn't whining about what happened in the past, what God had uh, seemingly done this bad stuff to him. No, he was looking at it from an eternal perspective. Not that it wasn't bad. Not that it couldn't have been better. We understand that. But listen, he said, God was at work. I want to say God is at work in each of our lives to bring us to Him through our circumstances and situations. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, what do you have that you have not received? And if you received it, why do you act as if you didn't receive it? Whatever we have received is, is from God and God wants to use it that we would find Him and that we would glorify Him. And then not only are we created in God's image, the text of Genesis 1, 26, and 7, we're charged with... Ruling God's creation, one of the ways we manifest our imaging of God, and bring Him glory, is by impacting the world. Now that's in a whole other sermon, but that's why I think that, you know, if you, this whole issue of work, and you need to, uh, you need to work, and you need to learn to work, you need to be appreciated to work, that's part of human dignity. If you don't work, you are dehumanizing people without that opportunity to impact the world. That's before the fall, not after the fall. That's God's design. So let's conclude it. What was he trying to say here with regard not only to, to the roots of our human race? Well, the inescapable truth of the scripture is that every single human life matters. Everyone. Now, I realize, even as I say this, that, and I uh, understand, unfortunately, and I, I think unfairly, saying so could put a target on my back or my chest as a racist. Because I say every single life matters. But help us to understand. I want you to understand where this comes from, why some people would be offended by me saying that every life matters because it would seem that I am somehow diminishing, especially in our culture, that, that black lives matter. And that's not what I'm trying to do. But help us understand that. Okay, if you were diagnosed with cancer, and I came to you and I said, you know... Everybody gets sick. You you would kind of think I was insensitive. That I didn't care. That I was somehow didn't value you or didn't care for you. Well, that's how some people, if, if people have been marginalized or discriminated against or, or offended, they may hear me say "Every life's ma- every life matters as if, I was saying, everybody gets sick, so just deal with it. No, that's not the intent at all. The reality is that every life does matter. In order to value every life, in order to validate uh, those people or groups of people who have been treated unjustly and unfairly, I would suggest that we make it more personal. And that in our interactions with people, that we just say, you know what, your life matters. Your life matters to me. And I, justice means that every life matters, and it means that I will do what I can to ensure that your life is protected. It matters to me, and I care for you. Your life matters. That's the Bible, okay? And that in our personal interactions with people, we need to flesh that out. And unfortunately, we aren't all that good at it, okay? But here's the deal we want every human being. We want every human being, regardless of their age, regardless of their gender, regardless of their race, to know that their life matters. To God. To us. And that we'll do what we can to protect it. So there is the root. We're introduced to the root of the human race. Now, I want you to see the instruction that we're given with regard to the reason for racism. In Genesis chapter 6, if you have your Bible, you can turn over to Genesis 6. I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. I'm just going to highlight three facts that we need to consider. You know the story of Genesis chapter 3 where Adam and Eve were tempted. And uh, Verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They had been exposed for their sinfulness. And here's the deal. The first truth I want us to look at is that the fact is that the reality of our our depravity, we are sinful people. Look, we're created to reflect God's glory. We're created to be in relationship with God. But what did Satan say to Adam and Eve? Ah, uh, really? You know, you think God doesn't want you to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because he's good? No, he's holding out on you. He just doesn't want you to have be like him. Surely you're not going to die. Oh, come on. So we begin, as, and then and, and, and Paul summarizes what their conclusion was and what happened there. In Romans chapter 1, verse 25, here's what he says. We exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. What happened in Genesis 1 was what Paul characterizes in Romans chapter 1 is that we, God, we really didn't trust that God had our best interest in mind. So thank you very much, God. I'll take it into my own hands. You know, I, I've got this. Then we see the reach of our depravity. The reality is we're all depraved, sinful, fallen creatures, and be deserving of God's judgment because we fall short of His glory. The second thing is we need to see the reach of our depravity. First of all, we're sinners by nature. Now, I was praying and thinking through this this morning, and I I don't know how to say this uh, exactly, but I'm going to give it a shot, okay? At the root of so much of the contention and the hostility and the discord in our country today can be traced to this very fact that we are sinners by nature. Because the movement that is afoot within our country, whether it's critical race theory, whether it is Antifa, The the movement of Black Lives Matter at the core is a denial of our fallen nature. A denial of our fallen nature. That we are sinful people by nature. And by nature I mean this. If you look at, write these verses down, Psalm 51, verse 5. David said, in sin did my mother conceive me. Now the act of conception is not sinful. But he is sinful because he was conceived. This is Romans chapter 5, verse 12, where Paul says that by one man sin entered into the world. And then he goes on to say, death spread to all men because all sinned. Adam, as the head of the human race, sinned against God, and by virtue of all of us sharing in his humanity, we are sinners prone living in rebellion with God that's our default we 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 want to run away from God and then we're not only sinners by nature but we're sinners by choice we we choose to sin Isaiah said it all of us like sheep have gone astray each one has turned to his own way John chapter 3 verse 9, 19 you've heard me say this before men love darkness rather than light why because our deeds are evil Romans chapter 3, you want to write a verse down, and you read this. Romans chapter 3, beginning with verse 10. There's no one righteous, no, not one. There's none who seeks after God, no, not one. Whoa, we're all sinners by nature. See, sin is an equal opportunity corrupter. I don't care where you were born, how you were born, who you were born to, what the situation is, sin is part of who you are. It's no respecter of persons. Several years ago, I read a book, The Body, by Charles Colson. And in this book, he described a situation of a Holocaust survivor. The man's name is Yehiel Dunur. It's very hard for me to say that, but Yehiel Dunur. He is an Auschwitz survivor. And he was called to testify against one of the men responsible, personally responsible for the death of many of his friends and a man who had overseen the slaughter of millions, or at least hundreds of thousands of Jews. His name was Adolf Eichmann. As they sat in the courtroom, later, Dinuer testified that as they sat in the courtroom and his eyes met the man who had killed his friends and been responsible for the slaughter of millions or at least hundreds of thousands of people. He said this. When he saw Eichmann, he said, I was afraid about myself. I saw that I am capable to do this, exactly like he. Eichmann is in all of us. And What he said was he saw another human being, just like himself, and that he is capable of it. Folks, each and every human being is capable of each and every sin. And that's a scary thought, but that's the fact of the, of the Scriptures. Then we see the result of depravity. The result of depravity, if you look at verses 12 and 13 in Genesis chapter 3, what is the deal? God comes roaming in the garden and he says to the man, Adam, where are you? Oh, well, sorry, we're we're hiding. Why are you hiding? Oh, did you eat of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil? Well, you know, it's that woman you gave me. Ah, yeah. And then he says to the woman, she says, well, it's that serpent that you brought along abdication of responsibility. You see, one of the manifestations, the essence of our rebellion is arrogant self-exaltation. Management of life in our our terms to bring satisfaction in our souls that we can only find in God, but because we've rejected God, we try to find it in ourselves. And so part of that default is that if I have to minimize you, if I have to trivialize you, if I have to control you, So that I feel good about myself, so that I feel exalted as a human being, so be it. That just goes with the game because I'm forsaking God as a fallen human being and trying to live for myself. Now, here's how it plays out. Whenever the keys cannot be found in our home, guess whose fault it is? Can't be mine because I always put them back where they belong, right? Can't be your fault. It can't be my fault that somebody fell down the steps because I didn't close the gate. It can't be my fault that somebody tripped in the middle of the night over something that I left there because I don't do that. can't be my fault. Oh, really? Sinful self-exaltation. Management of life. So that we find satisfaction and pursue our dreams and our pleasures because we want to find satisfaction in ourselves. We want to bring glory to us, not God. This is sinful, fallen manifestation of it. And then you see it, and I'm not going to go there, Adam, I'm going to skip over it, but you write it down, James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. The, The source of quarrels among you is because you lust and you do not have, and you do not have because you do not ask. Because we're consuming it upon ourselves. Then there's the effect in the world. What happened after Adam and Eve sinned? <sighs> Things went downhill. Genesis chapter 6 verse 5. It says this. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth. And that every intent of the thoughts of his heart. Now how do you trip over more? Every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. <laughs> That's bad. Okay. So God sent a flood. Right? God sent a flood. And it says, and if you write it down in Genesis chapter 9, verses 18 and 19, that after the flood, there were only three dudes left after Noah and his wife, right? Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And from them, all the families and all the nations of the earth spread. Oh, sounds like one race from one descendant. Noah and his wife from Adam and Eve and all races were developed. So here's the deal. This was the creation of ethnicity. This was the creation of race. Shem, Ham, and Japheth, from them, everybody went out. But then if you read in 11, uh, Genesis chapter 11, you have this whole issue of the Tower of Babel. Men trying to exalt themselves to be God, maintain control, find satisfaction without God. One language, whoop, and that. Everybody scatters. Everybody has a different language. Then from the conception of race, we have the corruption of race. Racism. Where does racism come from? From the heart of a fallen human being. Because everybody spread out. And when everybody spread out, then everybody was like the people that they spread out with. And when you become like the people you spread out with, then somehow that's comfortable. We, after the fall, we naturally delight in those who are similar. And we naturally dislike those who differ it's more comfortable i I can control people like me i can't control i can't manage i i feel good about myself if i'm like people like me and they like me and i like them i feel awkward and uncomfortable around people who aren't like me and aren't like and i'm not like them and so this becomes when when uh when uh when i've been overseas You you go overseas you travel to a different country and if you're from a country that is not the national country, so like Marla and I were traveling one time, we're on vacation, and we went to this place and we found out that this was a place in this foreign country where all of the, uh, not all, but several Americans would come because they felt comfortable because the Americans gathered there, see? Oh, so we feel comfortable because we gathered there as Americans. Now, the preference is not wrong, okay? The, the, the preference is not wrong. but when you take the natural preference and you turn it into a prejudice, then it becomes racism or discrimination. And that's the part of the fall. Pride turns our preference into prejudice. That's what pride does. Well, I resolve myself. I'm going to control things, manage it, so that I feel good about me, even if you. it costs you, it hurts you. That's the heart. The depraved heart says, if I have to use my ethnicity to manage, to magnify myself or to manage and control you so I feel good about myself, okay, I'll do it. That's wrong. It's sinful, it's fallen. I like what Shelby Steele. Now, Shelby Steele is an African American and he says this about racism: racist impulses. He says we always have to watch those impulses in ourselves. They are automatic. Now listen carefully. They are reflexive. That's a reflex. But not necessarily reflective. We have to make them utterly impermissible. We're naturally drawn to people like us. It's difficult to go beyond it, although it's exciting. See, this is the, the amazing thing. I mean, it's, it's exciting and it's good because God created us different, and different is not bad. It's just different. And different can be an encouragement and excitement. It's not to be denigrated, it's to be celebrated. So if we're supposed to make this impulse impermissible, how do we do that? Huh. Isn't it amazing that God's Word has an answer? No, it's not amazing. That turns us to the third uh, important thing we need to consider, that we're inspired, I'm inspired, by the remedy for racism. The Scripture provides the remedy for the malady of racism. Two, two insights. First of all, the source of every conflict is what? Sin. We just established that. See, when all these people scattered, selfish, self-centered, self-exalting people, when they scattered, guess what? They, They took sin with them. You know, we're living in the middle of this pandemic, right? Well, the virus didn't stay in Wuhan, China. Guess what? It's everywhere. It's infiltrated everywhere. Sin is more pervasive. Because... The Wuhan virus probably will not infect everyone. Sin has infected everyone. Okay? one Racism is just one, one of the manifestations of the sinful condition that's permeated throughout our country. And guess what? It's not recent. <laughs> and we can go back thousands and thousands of years in history. Most wars have been fought over racism, discrimination, hostility of one group towards another. I mean, I just read, you just read the Bible. What, you know, you think the Israelites had a really good, warm, fuzzy feeling about the Philistines? No, they didn't. Uh, Jonah really had a thing for the Ninevites, right? Thought they were cool people. I, I'm going to go visit Nineveh and uh, share the gospel so they come to know Jesus. No! He said, I don't want that. Racism! Discrimination, prejudice. The Ottoman Empire slaughtered somewhere between 30 and 300,000 people in the name of cleansing. Six million Jews slaughtered senselessly in the Holocaust. Hundreds of thousands of people in Rwanda murdered because of tribal infighting. It's horrible racism can be explained okay but never excused not doing business with someone because of the color of their skin or following them around in the grocery store or the or walmart because we think that they might steal something physically assaulting people like i've seen on youtube and other things Because a person is just of a particular race. These things are heinous. And they are wrong. And God's holiness demands justice. And every sin will be accounted for. It is wrong separates us from God. But guess what? God in his infinite mercy made a way. God is just but he's also loving. And so while the source of every sin of conflict is sin. The solution for every conflict is the savior. Now think about it. Can governments rescue us from racism? (laughs) No. Now They can pass laws, but all they can do is coerce behavior. They can't change heart belief. Atheism, which I'm Atheism and Marxism, both of which are heavily influencing a lot of what we see happening in our country, are inept in dealing with racism. Why? Because atheism says there is no God. If there is no God, there are no rules. If there are no rules, then you have no rights. If I'm a bigger fish in the sea, guess what I do with you? I have you for lunch. That's atheism. It leads to anarchy. Marxism is no better. His only concentrates authority and power in the hands of a few who have to dominate the rest. Marxism basically blatantly denies the dignity of every human being. It denies the sinfulness of every human being. Somehow you blame it on the system. You don't blame it on the person. Islam. If you're not in, you're out. And if you're out, too bad. Hinduism. We just perpetuate a caste system that keeps people down. None of these have a solution for the problem. But guess what? God made a way. Abraham was promised. Abraham and Israelite promised that through him, Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, that through him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. See, look at it. And I will bless those who bless you, and I and the one who curses you. I will curse. And in you, what? All the families of the earth will be blessed. And then we see how this is fulfilled in Galatians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Paul says this, The scripture foreseen that God would justify the Gentiles. you know who a Gentile is? Anybody that's not an Israelite. Guess what? That's, I'm guessing, all of us. (laughs) Doesn't matter where we grew up. Doesn't matter our, our nationality. Doesn't matter our ethnicity. We're Gentiles. But to justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying... All the nations will be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. The rebellious of every race are made righteous only through faith in the person of Jesus. Who suffered in our place. Remember, we're sinful. We deserve God's wrath, God's judgment. But God sent his son, Christ. It says, he himself bore our sins in his own body on the cross. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we are healed. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5 and and verse 6. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. By his scourging we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned his own way. But God has caused the iniquity of us all. What? Fall on him. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, has been nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. The answer to racism, the answer to sexism, the answer to whatever ism you put in there is the person and the work of Jesus. Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 he redeemed us Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone what does it mean to redeem he purchased us he bought us out he purchased our deliverance from the slave market of sin you know what they do with the uh, wild mustangs out in the west they round them up and they have an auction and they go to the highest bidder And if they don't go to the glue factory, it's because somebody else paid the price to redeem them from slaughter. What Jesus did on the cross is he purchased us, paid the price so that we would not have to sin. And guess what, folks? This is available to all. No racism here. Yeah, there is one race, one salvation for all people. Romans chapter three, verse twenty-two. I want you to see what Paul says in Romans chapter three, twenty-two. He says, "Through faith in Jesus Christ, we can be redeemed." Uh, I'm going to read it for you. Uh, Acts, Romans three twenty-two. You can write it down. It's a. If I get there, Romans three twenty-two. Paul says this: in the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, for all who believe. For there is no distinction I love that there's no distinction no distinction for all who believe through faith in Christ we can be saved now what is faith it's actively crying out God I need you I can't do this on my own our family was at the Royal Gorge one time that's in Colorado it's a big gash in the earth about a thousand feet deep and we rode the tram across the Royal Gorge. Whew, that was a trip. You know. I just found out that my daughter, my youngest daughter, she, went, she ziplined across the Royal Gorge. Oh, hey, adrenaline rush, whatever. She didn't do it upside down, I don't think, but she did it. Okay, But it takes faith. It takes active faith. You have to get on the tram. You have to strap into the zipline. It is crying out, God, I need you. And it's available to all. And what's amazing is that Paul echoes what Peter has said in Acts chapter 10. I want you to look at these verses. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one, what? To show partiality. Whenever you see the word partiality, you could translate that as racism or discrimination in the Bible, okay? But in every nation, every nation, every nation, The man who fears Him and who does what is right is welcome to Him. You see, God doesn't show partiality on the basis of our ethnicity, on the basis of our gender, on the basis of any other thing. There's nothing when He seeks to reconcile us to Himself. Nothing. All believers share in one transcendent thing. So the offer of salvation is open to all, and when anyone who comes into the family of God. Guess what? All of us who are believers from every tribe and nation and tongue and people, we share this in common. There is no... We share a unity that transcends our gender, that transcends our economics, that transcends our ethnicity. This is Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, okay, nationality doesn't matter, ethnicity, There's neither slave nor free, doesn't matter your economic status. There's neither neither male nor female, doesn't matter about your gender, for you are all one in Christ. Do you see that in Christ, it doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter whether you're a male or a female. It doesn't matter whether you work on the factory line or whether you're the PhD at the university. Your family. And that is a unity that the world can know, but doesn't. And until it does, there will be no racial reconciliation. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. And then he goes on to say, we're ambassadors for Christ. So God, we're entreating through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Folks, only when I have peace with God will I have peace with you. Only when I am at peace with God will I be able to have peace with those who differ from me. But that's the marvel of the gospel. As God made it possible. And any possible alienating difference has been eliminated for the child of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 4 verses 9 and 10, worthy is the lamb and the living creatures in the glory give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and to him who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, and here's what they will say, worthy. Is the lamb who was slain to receive glory and honor and praise? For with his blood, he did purchase for himself people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Through the blood of Jesus, we're family. And it doesn't matter what your job is, doesn't matter your IQ, doesn't matter your color of your skin you know we're all the same skin color just some are darker than others you know we all have melanin i mean that's that's the thing it's just some that's darker than others right it's amazing thing of god's plan in genetics you know they just scattered everybody and that's happened but that's celebrate it don't denigrate it and so i say if you're here this morning and you're listening online and you know yeah i really don't give a rip about god much I'm really kind of living life on my own. My challenge to you is to to repent. You're you're a person who is deserving of God's judgment. And I don't delight in that fact. But I say to you, turn from your self-centered, self-exalting, managing life, trying to find satisfaction on your own through pursuits of pleasure and prosperity and power, and repent. Say, Lord, I accept my faith. That Jesus died on the cross the death that I deserve to die so that I can live and be reconciled to God. It's open to all who believe regardless of their race or their gender or whatever. And to those of us who know Jesus, you understand that Christianity provides the only path to racial reconciliation. The only path in racial reconciliation. In the world, see the root of racism that's perpetrated and perpetuated is pride. Sinful self-exaltation. Sinful control of circumstances so that I feel good about myself regardless of how you feel because I have to elevate me because I am God now in the sinful fallen world. But in Christ it's been destroyed. Paul said, knowing this, that the old self has been crucified that the body of sin might be destroyed, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. If we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we shall also be united with him in the likeness of his resurrection. We will live as resurrected people. That's Romans chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, although I said verse 6 before I said verse 5. Okay, so just so you know. Um, in Christ, we're, we're redeemed. You See, as a believer, I'm called to and capable Now that's, I'm called to and capable of loving everyone because of Christ. I'm called to be at harmony regardless of ethnicity or whatever difference there may be. And I'm called to treat all people with dignity. So here's the deal. We have a special bond with every believer in Christ, regardless of race, gender, ethnicity, whatever it happens to be. But we are called because we believe Genesis 1, that all men are created in the image of God, that we will treat everyone with dignity. But there's a special bond with those who are in the body. That's the thing. Colossians chapter 3, verses 8 through 11 says this and I want you to look at the screen it says but you but now you also speaking of believers put them all aside what are we supposed to put aside anger and wrath and malice and slander and abusive speech now anybody seen the news lately anybody had a twitter feed facebook what do you see anger wrath malice slander and abusive speech put them all aside. do not lie to one another oh plenty of that going on Since you have laid aside the old self and its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to the true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and in all. The answer to this whole thing is Christ. And he alone offers That to all of us who believe. Are Christians perfect? No. But in Christ there is progress, not perfection, until we reach glory. The cross of Christ unravels racism by providing the opportunity for for men and women of every tribe and tongue and nation and people to eliminate our self-exaltation through the belief in the blood of Christ, which paid the debt for us. A payment, that we des- a judgment we deserved upon ourselves for our rebellion. And then when we receive that gift by faith, guess what? We're family. So that I-, I care enough to try to learn some of your culture. I care about your aches and pains and what it is for you to struggle in My culture. I care about your life. And I love you. Because you are my brother or my sister in Christ. And it doesn't matter what you do. Or where you live. Or where you come from. I care about the past that your pain entails. I care about your future. I care about your present. Because of Jesus. And I don't stop with you. I, I care about other people because I want them to know Jesus too. I want them to be part of the family. I want them to know that they are valued because of their humanity. So we remember the cross as we break the bread and we take the cup. So that's the answer. It really is. And so as our praise team comes, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a few moments and just search your heart before God and let some of these things, whatever the Spirit of God says to you, let Him say to you. Confess your sin and turn and trust that Christ will help you become a God person who understands what the source of racism is and what the solution to racism is. And then when it's appropriate for you, take the bread and take the cup remember, it's the blood of Christ. Father, that shed for us, that brings us unity. Thank you, in Jesus' name.